Good morning. And uh, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 6, if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, the scripture will come up on the screen uh, behind me, so you can follow it there if you like. Today we're going to look at the, the first seven verses uh, of Acts chapter 6, which says this, in those days when the number of disciples was increase, increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What's our big question today then? Well, it's this. What do we do when church gets clunky? That's right, clunky. I am sorry, Chris. I've got no idea how that's going to be translated into Spanish, but I hope you'll find a way. Um, it's not really a technical term, is it, particularly? Uh, so it might take me a few moments to uh, explain what I mean. And I suppose a bit of a disclaimer, really. Uh, my hope is that you'll all receive some encouragement from this message it is, I suppose, more directed towards City Church Sheffield. So I know looking around the room, there'll be any number of people uh, visiting family and friends, um, perhaps over the half-term holiday. I, I hope that you'll be encouraged by this too. You may find application when family life gets clunky or when work life gets clunky. Uh, all sorts of uh, other lives you may have. Um, but we're going to be looking at church life with no apology, really. This delighted to be part of God's plan uh, to see his kingdom spread across the world through the church. So we're going to talk about the church. And here's an example in Acts chapter 6 when the culture of the church gets a bit clunky. What do I mean? Well, it's, it's, it's worked quite smoothly in other ways, and they've met many challenges up until this point. Uh, disciples in Jerusalem have experienced uh, ridicule, uh, persecution, have been arrested, been imprisoned. Um, they've been threatened, but they've seen uh, God's blessing, and I suppose they've, they've had uh, amongst themselves uh, systems that work well with, uh, with the 12 apostles uh, leading uh, the church. So we're, we're talking about culture. The culture of a church perhaps as distinct from its uh, convictions. Sometimes church leaders, like me and Chris and others, uh, publicly like this and on the website as well, might talk about uh, particular convictions. Sometimes the language is used of DNA. 
Now, what's the DNA of the church? What are its core beliefs and convictions that you would hope run through everything the church is and does? Uh, we spent some time, about this time last year, uh, going through uh, or restating our vision as a church with uh, spending some time looking at seven different topics, if you like, seven values, seven uh, kind of vision statements of who we are. It's always a sense in which that's about who we want to be, who we aspire to be. Um, but sometimes there can be other issues going on. At the moment, um, my DNA uh, has not changed. I've got all my vital organs uh, intact. Uh, I'm a fine specimen, no doubt. Nevertheless, this week... Well, that's your judgment. Anyway, uh, this week I pulled my back. It's not like huge pain. It's not like... It, out of ten, it's probably a half. But it's still been inconvenient, and I, uh, you might notice I'm a bit stiff. If I took this jumper off, you'd probably see that I'm, I'm stood in a wonky way. Um, but nothing else is wrong with me, and I just need to do some good exercises, keep moving, um, and I'm sure it'll be fine before long. Church can be a little bit like that. DNA, it's fine. The vision, brilliant. Convictions and core beliefs, absolutely wonderful. But sometimes a church can develop slightly poor posture and maybe get a bit of a strain or a sprain somewhere. There's a problem and it needs to be addressed and remedied for the church uh, to continue to, to do well and to grow. I know, uh, like I said, the church in Jerusalem at this point had been through uh, some challenges. Often those challenges have come from outside, other people this challenge is within. This challenge is inside uh, the church. So we're going to consider today, what do we do when church gets clunky? It's not smoothly working. It's a bit wonky. It's got some great values, great vision and so on, but it's a little bit out of kilter. Well, firstly, we need to recognise the problem. This is what's happening here in Acts chapter 6. We could say that it's a positive problem because there the, the problem is as the result of growth. In chapter 1, just after the ascension of Jesus, there are 120 believers in Jerusalem. And they had, there were, well there were 11 apostles and they worked out a way before God uh, to, to prayerfully bring the number back up to 12. They recognised it was significant that they should have uh, 12 um, so 12 leaders to 120, that, that's a church that needs to see growth, really, uh, in a whole variety of ways. Anyway, a few days later, 3,000 are added to their number in a day, getting baptised. Wonderful. After that, we're told in, uh, later on in Acts chapter 2 that there was a daily increase in the number of people being saved up to the point where I think in chapter 4 there's a total of 5,000 men who are part of the church, but obviously that number's going to be bigger because it will include women um, uh, and, and children as well. So the, the church has, uh, is now numbered in, in multiple thousands, and then in chapter 5 we'll continue to hear and, and more people coming to the faith. And this is this is wonderful. It's a positive problem to have. In those days, the chapter, uh, this chapter starts, when the number of disciples was increasing. There are certain problems you want to have, in a sense. It's a positive problem, 
But it's also a real problem that this could derail the church. If they don't address the issue that's presenting itself to them right now, how's the gospel, how's the church going to grow and spread? This is a key point in the church's um, life. Up until this point, the focus is on Jerusalem. God saving people in Jerusalem, following on from this passage, is starting to spread out. There are people going, uh, well, we'll look at that in a minute. Philip goes to Samaria. Uh, others, through even persecution, are spread to different places. But actually God uses that for the growth of the church, the spread of his word. But it's a real problem that needs addressing in the here and now for them to get to that. It's also, whilst we might say it's a positive problem, it's also an ugly problem. It's not deliberate, necessarily. It's not malicious. But the most needy group of people in the church would be its widows. And, as it becomes clear in this chapter, whether a widow in the church, a believing disciple of Jesus, who's a widow, whether she has something to eat or not, could depend on the language and the culture that she knows. And that is really, it's really grim. It's really ugly that someone should go hungry because they didn't grow up knowing how to speak Hebrew. Or necessarily they didn't grow up in or near Jerusalem. They could have been uh, part of a Jewish community and now a believing Jew, but they could have been living in another part uh, of the world, of the Greek-speaking world, later on relocating back to uh, Jerusalem. So wonderful that, the, that God is doing such a great work in bringing people together, but there is an, there's an ugly side to this problem that no one designed and no one wanted, but it's discrimination. People are missing out. And perhaps that could bring about an extra problem it says the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Well, there was a real concern, wasn't there? There was a real complaint. There was an issue that needed to be uh, dealt with and confronted. It's not necessarily wrong to complain. It's not necessarily wrong to share a concern or an observation. There are other places in Scripture where you see there can be a legitimate concern. God's people say to Moses, there's, there's nothing for us to drink here. Where can we drink? But the legitimate concern becomes then a problem of murmuring and grumbling and complaining. Like just an atmosphere amongst God's people that is angsty. Again, I've got no idea what the Spanish is for angsty. But there's an extra problem. Churches can develop... There can be unhealthy cultures that can develop in a church. I don't think we have either of these. Um, but let me share with you. There can be sometimes in churches an atmosphere of fear. Uh, sometimes in the Christian press or elsewhere, it's not that long before another example presents itself, where perhaps uh, people are simply scared to share with leaders concerns or issues in the life of that church for fear that they might be labelled a problem, uh, divisive, 
And so sometimes if we're going for this important principle and biblical conviction about being a united people, sometimes for people that can have like an ugly undertone. What they mean is don't ever share what you really think. Just toe the line. Don't speak out if you've got a concern. Because if the leaders hear about it, they'll turn it around and they'll make you the problem. The problem here is that some widows are going hungry. That's a real problem. That needs some attention. So thank the Lord that it came to the attention of those who lead. We don't want an atmosphere of fear. Where maybe the slogan could be, whatever the leaders do, don't question. Don't share. Don't speak up. That's just grim and ugly as well. They can, on the other side, sometimes churches can develop a, an atmosphere of just negativity rather than whatever the leaders do, don't question. It's whatever the leaders do, they take a hit, they get criticised. I don't think we have this culture either. But I can remember growing up um, and in my young teens, um, uh, I can remember I'd sometimes go along to the evening meeting, there was a morning meeting, there was an evening meeting. I often go along to the evening meeting and can recall, and you may have heard me say this before, the, uh, the, the guy who led that church, a guy called Glynn, it was the, the, the vicar of the church I went to, just stood up and in the context of a meeting, maybe not as big as this, just appealed to people to stop criticising him, to stop having a go. It's like, sometimes change is really unsettling, isn't it? A church that maybe you know, a few years into having, its, having a new leader, lots of fears start to develop, but my word, they were letting him know about it. They were, they were just beating him with criticism. I thought, I wonder how bad that had to get for him just to stand up and almost plead. Could you please stop? So like I say, I don't think we have either of those going on at all. Um, but it's just worth kind of bearing in mind, sometimes when there's a real problem, Christians can add in an extra problem of just bad attitude uh, and having a go and fear and so on. Now notice they really do recognise the problem and they gather everyone. Uh, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said. The leaders just go totally, totally public totally direct and totally open. They had received criticism and it was justified really. People were going out without food. Previously, when the numbers were fewer, it had worked out okay. It says in chapter 4, I think, that whenever there was no needy person among them because whenever need arose, people would come and, and uh, either by selling land or property or else some other way, would, would kind of put the money down at the apostles' feet and the, the apostles would distribute it. So there was a time in the life of the church when it worked to do it that way. You could come and you could give money and the apostles uh, would handle the responsibility of feeding people. But the good news is that numbers have been growing. Numbers have been growing means that system hasn't worked so well. So they go totally public. They say there are things that could have been handled better. We know that and we want to do something about it. Uh, this isn't like the hugest point on the planet, but since I'm making a point about being open and direct, gathering everyone and sharing, I could say, do you know what? There are things we know we could have done better. We know in this past term, or this current term, uh, we could have made sure that there were more life groups 
and more spaces within more life groups. We go into all the details if you like, but it's not necessarily helpful for right now. It's just an example. We know we could have done better. We know that could have been set up more clearly. We know sometimes the challenge in church life is to communicate well uh, and to keep communicating well. Sometimes the challenge is we all communicate in different ways. This is a bit of an aside now. Yeah, we could like take a survey and like work out and sort of try and profile by age what like chosen method of communication is. There's this one, sharing with a bunch of people. But you know, not everything will land in a moment like this by speaking. So use some other things. But then if you use Facebook, you're kind of excluding all the people who don't use Facebook. If you use WhatsApp, you're excluding all the people who don't use WhatsApp. Uh, Instagram, Insta what? Um, you know, that just proves the point, doesn't it? Someone approaching his 40s doesn't really know much about Instagram, but has loads of WhatsApp groups that they're a part of. Oh, Lord, it's wonderful. Oh, no, there's another one I need to keep up with. <laughs> it's just always challenges to learn from. I'm not kind of trying to belittle the issue of communicating well. We've got to seek to do it well. And we could say as a, as a church as well that we are, I think uh, I can say this on behalf of me and, and Chris and Rich, we're kind of between wineskins. Now, forgive me, you might be visiting or you might be relatively new to the church and it might just sound a bit bizarre. We're kind of between wineskins, which means we're in a process of knowing we need to work on some of our structures and our organisation as a church and the way in which we lead. We've got three elders. And the preparations to plant a third congregation, news on that this evening, um, means we know some of the behind-the-scenes workings of church life do have to change to better facilitate what we want to do as a church. Three people, three elders, across three sites, that's a bit thin, it's a bit stretched. And the chances are you just don't get a response from us as soon as you should do, really, if you have raised something, raised a concern. Um, and what we have to do is take the step back, not just to apologise for not communicating very well, but to actually make sure in addition to doing that, we've actually made the right changes that's going to lead the church forward into a new phase. It's not really, really exciting stuff in a way. But sometimes we've just got to be honest about behind the scenes to make things work smoother. We've had God speak to us prophetically at the beginning of the year about him turning the church inside out. That's not a change of conviction. That's not a change of vision. That could be a change of just how we are organised, what our expectations are. Making sure we persevere and keep going so that the shape of the church doesn't just pop back to what it once was and has been for a while. It's about moving things on. And if you see this chapter, um, where it's poised... It's a really significant moment. They could just stay as the church in Jerusalem. Or they can get themselves ready to see a spread and a growth of the word of God influencing more and more lives in more and more places. It's not a time to just settle. We want to be moving on. So recognising the problem is pretty key. And then pursuing radical solutions. They could be radical because they're really simple. They could be radical because they haven't been used before, not by us anyway. They might not be rocket science because they need to be straightforward. But notice what 
pursuing radical solutions here in Acts chapter 6. Firstly, it, it didn't involve certain things. The leaders did not ignore their own limitations. Previously, 12 has been enough, and it's worked, if you like, just simply in terms of leadership numbers. They didn't, they didn't ignore their own limitations. That means that they did not think, okay, we've taken some criticism. What we need to do is just try harder. Just try and do more. Anyone recognize that kind of temptation in life? This could be anywhere. The solution is just, I've got to run faster. I've got to do better. Just try harder. Which could also mean just react to the current issue or the current complaint. And if they did that, you'd have a leadership team that is just seesawing between different priorities. Oh, we've been criticized about the widows. Let's do something about the widows. Oh, we've been criticized about not preaching well enough. Let's put the emphasis there again. Oh, it's gone back again the other way. And so just, uh, uh, they could have just settled for some big spiritual seesaw. Just react to the presenting issue. That's not really ever going to work. And I'm sure we uh, can identify that. Uh, perhaps the danger might be that the seesaw actually stops. And no one criticizes the leaders for not praying. <laughs> well, they're doing lots of stuff. That must be fruitful. Um, because some things are less seen, I suppose. So they didn't just react. They didn't ignore their limitations and try harder. They recognized the importance of devoting themselves to the essentials. That they must not allow even this situation to result in them neglecting the ministry of the word. And later on it will say in verse 4, uh, prayer as well. This is a temptation we all face. Do more and pray less. Do more and spend less time with God's word. You can just rely on what you picked up in your youth. You can just rely on those few favorite passages that you can just about still recall. You can just rely on that. You can rely on somebody else to speak it. You can rely on other people to share it at different times. That's enough. You've got enough on your plate. You've got so much to do. That's the great danger, isn't it? Sometimes it can be very well meant. You find through life, by ministry or by uh, family life or whatever in, in the workplace. You're caring for more people. But doing so without God's resources. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing the word of God. So if we aren't hearing the word of God and really taking it in, digesting it and allowing it to do us good, we get dry. We run out. And Christians can run dry simply by ignoring that temptation and not fighting it. The solution is always do more, do more, do more. And you might think at this point, well, that's, that is true. That, I can see where they're coming from. But surely feeding the widows was important, right? But that can't be ignored either. And that's the issue. That, look, some people over here are being neglected. Okay, but the solution cannot be neglecting the word of God and prayer. So whatever the solution is, it must involve the word of God and prayer having its right attention and not just amongst 
uh, leaders. So the, the apostles weren't saying, waiting on tables and serving the poor is beneath us. They weren't saying that. They were saying this church, the church of God, will have no life if its leaders don't get into the word of God and pray. There are other things to do as well. Don't get me wrong. There are other responsibilities that are important. But there can be no healthy church that is led by someone who isn't praying and isn't spending time in God's word. Whatever we might seek to do, whatever groups of people we might want to bless, that really is fundamental, isn't it? And if you're serving in some way and you're kind of tempted, I'll just, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to do some extra. But you know, in the back of your mind, is this that little bell that's ringing saying, is this a really healthy blend? Is this a good mix at the moment? For the apostles, that rang like a mighty alarm bell. We're going to devote ourselves to the word of God and prayer. And the, the life that flows in the chapters that follow is because that's what they did. <laughs> but how they bring um, life to the situation in the here and now and deal with the complaints and the radical solution they pursue is to give responsibility away. We will turn this responsibility over to them, to, uh, to the seven. Notice that the seven aren't given uh, a title. They're not actually called uh, deacons. They, it's almost just like get, they get a nickname. The nickname is the seven. What should we call you? Well, there's seven of you. So we'll call you the seven. And you'll know if you read the chapters into the future, uh, they don't stay the seven for very long. <laughs> One of them goes to glory. One of them goes to Samaria. You know, other ways of serving the kingdom purpose of God opened up for them. So this, this is a flexible arrangement. You know, sometimes we can just get into hard and fast mode and we can think in the life of the church, what we need, what we need is a replacement. What we need is someone's name in that gap on the rotor. Then everything will be fine. And sometimes there are occasions in church life to go find the replacement. In Acts chapter 1, like I mentioned, there were 11 apostles and they realized we, we need a 12th. They, there was a replacement and they worked out how to do that. Um, a decision that perhaps was closer to the apostles. This time, they don't just give away the responsibility to the seven. They give away responsibility to the church to go and find the seven. The mind boggles, doesn't it? As to how possibly 10,000 people might work out which, who are the seven of good repute, full of the spirit manifested in their wisdom, who are the seven that are ready to take this on? Well, we're not told, so presumably we don't need to know. But can you see that there's that, maybe even there is a turning inside out. The whole church is involved, and that responsibility is fruitfully given away. And notice, when, when responsibility is given away, sometimes we can just think in terms of Give somebody a task. Here is the task that you need to do that will help the cogs of church life to keep moving uh, and smoothly. So this is how I do it, and now you're to do exactly the same thing. So there's, just, there's a task. You learn how to do the task, and you do the task for a long time until someone asks you to do a different task. 
But they didn't just give away the task. I think they gave away the responsibility to work out how. We're giving over the responsibility, not just the task, we're giving over the responsibility of how to feed all the widows in this believing community. We're giving the responsibility, if you're working out how, we're giving it over to you. We're going to allow you to work on it. Now perhaps just a, a, a couple of moments, considering city church culture for a moment. Again, disclaimer, I know this is a little bit in-house. Sometimes, like I say, culture develops not necessarily by deliberate choice. It can be a pattern that develops. This church had a bad habit. It was a, a habit of overlooking a certain group of people. They didn't start out with that being their aim. Sometimes in other ways, culture can develop in the life of a church. It's not really a specific choice. It's more just a pattern that's developed over time. And perhaps in City Church Sheffield, one such cultural quirk, and we've, every church has got them, would be this. Wait to be asked. There's an issue, but wait to be asked. That's far better than push yourself forward. Or oh, push yourself forward is definitely wrong. So wait to be asked is the best approach. I'm telling you, almost like lifting the lid on what I think city church culture might be. I'm not saying that's what we want. I'm saying that's kind of what it is. Maybe wait to be asked is a bit better than push yourself forward. If push yourself forward is kind of encouraging pride. And that's, again, that can be what everyone's worried about. Well, I, I don't mention this thing because I don't want to be thought of as proud. You think of that atmosphere of fear again? Don't say because you'll... The, the whole situation will be turned around and you'll become the problem if you dare to say. So just wait. Be silent. Trust the Lord. Now do trust the Lord. Pray about it. Do pray about it. But I wonder if the Lord is just nudging us. Not to wait to be asked, on the one hand, and not to push yourself forward, on the other hand. Let's just forget those. And go for something a bit more like share your ideas. Share your ideas. And this is, a, a, again, we don't know exactly how it panned out. How did 10,000 people come up with seven suggested names for this responsibility? But it isn't intriguing that that scenario is, is not wait to be asked and it's not push yourself forward. There's a bunch of people, there's a whole church thinking, oh, I wonder about somebody else. I've got an idea. I think Stephen. It, it becomes about what, seeing what God is doing, not necessarily not in your own life, but in other people's. But who's to say that one of those list of seven didn't just stand up and say humbly, I think I could do that. I think I've got a rise of faith for feeding the widows. I've got some ideas. Can I talk it over with you? We can just assume that everyone was like too 
too demure to possibly mention themselves. Share your ideas. Spot the character and gifting in other people. Notice that what the apostles were after were people who were known to be of good character and known to be full of the Spirit. They may have been uh, demonstrating miracles and all sorts, but the thing that the, the apostles were looking for was evidence of their wisdom. So looking for evidence of God's work in one another and spotting uh, godly character and then having flexible expectations. Like I said, the seven didn't necessarily stay seven for very long. Philip was called to something different. He moved, he went. And then again, we've got to make sure that we don't just look for replacements. I can remember this, uh, a church I was once a part of where for a season... The church decided to employ a youth worker. Ooh, twinge, just bear with me a minute. Um, worship band, you might as well start coming up. Um, the church, it's all right, at ease, I'll give you another moment. Um, the church decided that they would employ a youth worker. Brilliant, lovely guy called Ian. Um, after a number of years, not for any bad reason, Ian moved on to another church and the church at that point those leading the church decided at this point we're going to employ an administrator maybe some people who criticised the first decision to employ a youth worker in so many years ago heard that and thought that's outrageous Uh, uh, all this good work that the youth worker's done is going to be lost if we don't employ another youth worker so no no God's called us to something different at the moment we need something different otherwise we can just get Caught out again, can't we? Thinking, we've got to find a replacement. Just got this rigid structure. No, it needs to be flexible. About seeing what God is doing in the here and now. Now, the passage begins with growth. And because they have worked on their own culture as a group of disciples, because the leaders have recognised a problem that's come to them, whether it was presented to them very well or not, whether it was with pointed finger or just open stance, they did actually recognise there's something that needs our attention. We're going to take some steps. We're going to take some radical steps. And the result, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What starts as some areas in church life being a little bit clunky, again, make of that what you will, is by faith an opportunity to see God's work extend and expand as we just come humbly come before him, maybe share ideas and work on culture. Now, I said I've got a slight pain in the back. I know I've got to do a few stretches and keep moving. I'm very grateful for anyone who comes to pray as I was prayed for earlier on. So I'm, I'm happy for it just to go like that. The chances are I just need to work out what I did wrong and kind of put it right and do some exercises and stretch a bit. God doesn't come to a church necessarily, click its finger, click his fingers and change a culture overnight. It requires a church to stretch. Sometimes it's a bit painful doing that. You'd rather not. But if I don't, I just get stiff and lock up. And that wouldn't be great either. So as church... We need to limber up. 
if that means sharing ideas, if that even means sharing concerns and complaints, if you can do it well, it'd be much better to hear it than, not, than just to have silence. Because we're a family. We're a group of people that God is working in to bring glory to the name of Jesus. We want the name of Jesus to be mightily glorified in the word of God spreading. I reckon we can amen that. Amen? Amen. Amen.